You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. When it comes to actors and singers, there is certainly stiff competition for every role and show that comes up. Sometimes hundreds of actors can vie for just a handful of roles. I think dancers, though, face an even steeper uphill climb in being cast in show after show and maintaining that steady work. But now imagine a performer not from the U.S. coming to this country and faced with an even greater challenge of the language and the culture, as well as the nuances of auditioning and performing in America. My guest today is Alessandra Maivin, a Vietnamese dancer and actress born and raised in Italy. She talks about the unique obstacles of immigrating to the U.S. as a performer. But we also get into the challenges common among all performers— the self-doubts and judgments that can come from comparing our accomplishments to others. I see someone, for example, dancing for Cardi B, and I think, oh my God, I'm a failure. I'm not dancing for Cardi B. And then I think about it. I'm like, you're not even interested in that project. So why are you putting so much pressure on yourself? Hello and welcome to Why I'll Never Make It, or Win Me for short, one of Feedspot's top 25 theater podcasts. I'm your host, Patrick Oliver-Jones, an actor and singer for almost 30 years. And each week I talk with fellow actors and creatives as we explore the realities of what it really means to make it in this business. The website is whyillnevermakeit.com. There you can sign up for the monthly newsletter as well as support this podcast financially. Learn about all that and more at whyillnevermakeit.com or click on the link in the show notes. In the early stages of dating the man who would eventually become my husband, one of the first people I met was his dear friend, Alessandra Maivin. They both met while working at the Broadway Dance Center here in New York. But she has since moved out to Los Angeles to pursue her dancing career. Her story really is a fascinating one of an immigrant from Italy who is Asian and speaks four languages, pursuing her artistic goals in the U.S. It is a wide-ranging conversation about the complexities of U.S. immigration, marketing ourselves as performers, her own learning curve as a dancer coming from Europe. And she shares her thoughts on greater representation for Asians on stage and on screen. But we start off talking about the constant traveling she has done in her life, as she journeys from one place to another, growing not only as an artist, but as a person as well. Well, hello, Alessandra. It's so good to see you. It's been a while since I've seen you in person, so I'm glad we get a chance to meet up this way. Hi, Patrick. Thank you so much for having me. And yeah, the last time it was at this Chinese place in Chinatown right. where they kicked us out because they were closing. <laughs> right. It's like, excuse me, we're on the clock. So if you could, yeah. Yeah. I cannot wait to be back in New York so we can go to more places. Yeah. That's actually what I wanted to start talking about first because the life of any performer or actor is is one that's usually on the road, whether it's on an actual tour or just traveling to particular theaters or filming locations. But for you, your travels have taken you from Verona to New York and now to Los Angeles. And so what is it that has kept you moving around so much? 
what is it that you're looking for that you didn't find in your previous residence? I feel that I'm growing when I'm doing things that make me feel uncomfortable. So this is why I've always wanted to move to different places. Every city gives me another Alessandra. So I would like to, you know, my goal is to grow in many little Alessandras and make a bigger one. <laughs> because after a while, I feel that I feel stale in a certain location only. And so the Alessandra you're creating there in Los Angeles, do you see her in the beginning phase or do you see her nearing the end and maybe another location is, is next? I see myself still at the beginning because Los Angeles is a very strange city. You get here and after many years, you still feel, <laughs> feel like an outsider. So it's taking a while, but now I have my jobs, my friendships and things will get going. So yeah, it's still the beginning. Yeah. Well, let's jump back then to your time in Italy. That's where you were born and raised. What did your performing career look like there? What, what did you mainly focus on and, and what Alessandro grew up there? In Italy, I used to work for a lot of different music videos for A-list artists. I used to choreograph and be in TV shows. I did all that to, to go to New York and then do everything again. Right, because in moving around, you just start from zero again, right? Yes, you have to start from zero again. And when I moved to the U.S., I didn't speak English, so I had to learn a language as well. But I feel like life is long enough for me to start over again. I'm not worried to do that. How is that language barrier translated to the work that you get here in the U.S.? At the beginning, it was very hard to get commercial jobs where I had few lines to say. Because as soon as they heard me speaking, they were, <laughs> they were shocked because I sounded very Italian. I mean, I still sound quite Italian, but then they see my face and they're like, what's happening here? And back in the days, you had to be a specific thing. Not like now where everyone can be wherever they want to be. They expect me to look Asian, act Asian, like math, <laughs> sound Asian. And I didn't. <laughs> reflect any of those things and it was hard for me to work at the beginning because still like they wanted me to look and sound a certain way only recently where casting directors want to see people different people I'm starting to get more more of those roles because as you brought up you look Asian you sound Italian and yet now you're living in America so there's all these different cultures kind of clashing together in you oh, yes for sure I used to take accent reduction classes. Now I don't feel less anymore because there's no expectation for me to be someone specific, which is awesome. Of course. Yeah. We're still performers. We still want to be seen as being able to do everything and not just be pigeonholed into one specific thing. And so since you have this multi-heritage, both in your look and your language, how you were raised... Do you feel any responsibility to lean into one or the other as far as how you interact personally, but also professionally as a performer? Not really. They are both parts of my life. They are in every cell of my body. So I don't feel like that I have to showcase one or the other more. These parts, they just live with me and come with me wherever I go. <laughs> now, certainly one thing in coming to America is immigration and just the, the legal stuff that goes into moving here. And 
and particularly within the U.S., I've had friends from other countries that say that the immigration system here is rather dense, it's complicated. What has been your experience? So I have an O-1 visa that is given to people that have a particular skill. It could be dancing, singing, or you are a very accomplished scientist, etc. And you have to show a lot of proof that you are the best in your country and you deserve to be here. How do you go about proving such a thing? Pictures. So thank God I used to love to take pictures when phones were not popular. So you need pictures, you need employers. They write a letter saying, I can confirm that this person was working here. A bank statement with all the payments and all this stuff. Yeah, you have to go back and create a very strong case. You have to show that you deserve to be on this ground. It's interesting that that must also relate to having to prove yourself as a, as a performer as well. Oh, yeah. Having to prove yourself as a dancer, as a model, as, a, you know, commercials, whatever you're doing. Oh, yes. And also, there's a funny thing on the, on the immigration website for the O-1 visa. It says, oh, send your awards if you had some Nobel Prize that can help. I, think, I thought it was so funny. Like, how, how can someone with a Nobel Prize can... <laughs> You know, might not just get throw the, that out no, there. No, no, for real. Like when That's I went so interesting when, before finding the right uh, lawyer, I had just lawyers reading out the the requirements. Hey, like, do you have any Tony Awards which you you would like to talk about? So yeah, it's a lot of pressure to show. And sometimes it's even funny because the things required are incredible. So yeah, I do feel the pressure to show that I'm you know doing well and contributing to the states. Hmm. And is that an ongoing process? Because I assume visas only last a certain amount of time and then you have to go through it all again? Yeah, they last only for one or three years. In my case, three. And yeah, you have to redo the whole process again. I have to show my tax return, what I've been doing here in America, et cetera, et cetera. So it's something that pushes you to do more and more. And once you're here, then is it easier to stay or is it really kind of starting from scratch again? It's never obvious that they're going to give you another visa. So you're always on your toes. And yeah, it's never, it's never ending. Where are you in that three-year window right now? So my visa is expiring soon. I have a few months. And yeah, I'm applying for another visa again. And the lawyer and I are wrapping up the last few things. I imagine, you know, anytime you get lawyers involved in it becomes not just a time consuming process, but also it takes a lot of money to do it as well. Ah, yes, for sure. The lawyer costs like seven or 8,000 every time. So someone really has to want to be here in the States because otherwise it's hard to get yourself motivated to do all of this. Has it ever come to the point where you've thought about going back to Italy because it was just too hard to stay here? Uh, no, I never thought about that because I'm so grateful to be in this country and I'll do anything to stay here. What is it specifically about New York and LA that makes you want to stay here? I mean, besides entertainment, but the people in general, of how people think here in the States, I mean, Los Angeles and New York, people are more open-minded. They are optimistic. In Italy, there's always this thing about complaining about life, being depressed, not thinking outside the box. So 
I see myself fitting in more with people from this country than in my country. And was it that way when you were growing up as well that you felt just different from how other people thought and behaved? Uh, yes, for sure. I felt that. And I, and even how I looked didn't help because when I grew up, I was the only non-white human being in the in the town. So I felt different from the moment I was born. And for sure, you know, my background made me think of life in a different way. My parents came to Italy on a boat, so they had a different experience compared to other people that were born and raised there their whole life. And all the generations before were there, maybe ever since the Rome, ancient Roman times. So, so yeah, the, my upbringing helped me have this outlook in life that I didn't share with other people. Were you raised in Vietnamese culture and heritage as well as the Italian? Ah, uh, yes. At home, uh, we used to speak Vietnamese and eat Vietnamese food. So yeah, I, I grew up very, very Vietnamese. And then in school, I learned everything about Italy or the Italian way of living. I guess that's a European trait because all the countries are so close together that you you kind of have to learn a few languages. Yes, exactly. I speak four, Italian, English, Vietnamese, and Spanish. Yeah, I love going to taco places and try to, you know, <laughs> remember my Spanish because, I mean, most of my friends are Italian, so I don't get to speak other languages. So I like to go to different, you know, Spanish restaurants and talk to the people and ask them about their language. And yes, I get to speak Spanish more, more here. And I assume that would kind of throw people because they see your look and then the Spanish comes out. So they're like, wait, wait, what? <laughs> yeah, they're, they're quite shocked. They don't expect that. Yeah, I remember whenever I was living and working in Tokyo, and it was really the same thing because obviously they look at me, I'm white, not Asian. So then even whenever I would try to speak Japanese, not that it was perfect, mind you, but you know, I'm trying to get the word. They still wouldn't understand me because they're listening for English, because they look at me and think, oh, American, he's going to speak English. So they're listening for English, and I would try to speak Japanese, and they wouldn't get it. So it's, uh, I, I, I would imagine that you would get some of the same, that they look at you, and they're waiting for a different language maybe to come out. Oh, yeah, they expect something else, and then I come out with this <laughs> Italian accent. <laughs> now, when it comes to the performing side, what has been different as far as the performance style that you've done both in Italy, then in New York, and now in Los Angeles? In Italy, the type of dance that we used to do, I'm talking about 10 years ago, it felt like something from the Renaissance, honestly. <laughs> in Italy, back in the days, we used to copy what Americans did in the entertainment world. So it was something quite not up to date. And yeah, I thought I was, you know, a great dancer. I mean, I wasn't bad, but then I moved to New York and I felt like I never danced before in my life. I had to learn quickly because the level was very advanced. Stylistically or movement wise, what was the biggest difference? The flavor that New York dancers have. So when I showed, showed up to class, coming from Italy and working, I thought it was going to be great. And actually I wasn't at all. People were learning super quickly, something that in Italy at the time it didn't exist. You just learn and that's it. Here people are very used to auditions and because there are auditions, so everyone was learning very quickly. 
and everything was overwhelming. I remember that I wasn't even able to get a one eight count out of the whole class. I mean, that must have been uh, frustrating or disappointing to think that you're at this one level as a dancer and then to realize, oh, wait, I don't know as much as I think I do. Exactly. And then New York people are very, they're, they're very specific. They take pride in the, in the style of dance. Like every style has a specific group of rules. While here in Los Angeles, it's based more on being flashy. In New York, it wasn't very acceptable, but here you can do street jazz and voguing in the same choreography and you just go for it. It's about marketing yourself better and all that. I mean, I saw that in um, headshots as well. I came from New York with certain headshots. They were nothing special here. Everyone is on their game. Like, you know, marketing wise, everyone looks like a celebrity. So I had to adjust to this type of dance as well, because I see people that might not be the greatest dancer or greatest actor, but they market themselves in, a, in such a confident way that they are successful. So that's a very different skill. And is that one that you're learning as well? Yeah, um, of course, because you have to. <laughs> <laughs> well, you kind of have to. Because yeah. you have to, because, yeah, when I moved here, after a week, I said, okay, let's look at their headshots. And also, it might sound shallow, like when I moved here at the beginning, commercial agencies and modeling agencies would ask for the number of followers that I had. Yeah, that's becoming more of a thing now for sure. Yeah, but coming from New York five years ago, I was shocked to say, oh my God, like, do you have to use Instagram to showcase that you're a celebrity? That I'm not, of course. And yes, unfortunately, it's something that you have to think about as well. Yeah, we kind of have to now market ourselves, both as actors, dancers, you know, whatever we're doing. And, you know, the buzzword is branding. You know, we have to brand ourselves, this certain type of person, certain type of performer, and our look, our pictures, our photo, you know, the, the content that we create. Oh, my God. When before, certainly as I was coming up, all you had to do is just focus, do you sound good? Can you act? Do you know how to present the character well? Do you have presence on stage? Like your presence on stage mattered so much more than your presence off stage. But now they need to balance each other. And in some ways you have to almost have a bigger presence online so that you can get on stage. Yeah, 100%. So it's not only dancing or acting as if it wasn't enough. Now it's only marketing on top of that. So one thing when it comes to, to marketing is, is our look and how we present ourselves. But certainly part of that does come from from your heritage and and how you look just ethnically. Has that ever helped or hindered you as far as the the path that you've gone and the roles that you've been cast in? So in Italy, it helped because I was the only Asian human being in the industry. I mean, of course, you have to be good, but it was easier to work. When I moved to New York, it was a little bit harder I was, I was always the token Asian of the project. While uh, right now, I think that people are open to having diverse people in the same project. So there can be few Asian people, few African-Americans. So right now, I feel that it's easier for me to put myself out there. I feel that people are looking for people that are different. 
So right now I have red hair. I don't have the black hair anymore. With the black hair, <laughs> I used to get casted in, uh, you know, the, the doctor, the pharmacist, the nurse. Right now with the, with the red hair, someone that loves, you know, to play video games. I mean, I don't even know who is Super Mario, so <laughs> maybe I, I should learn and be <laughs> more realistic. I got more roles like that or of someone edgy that lives outside of the comfort zone. I get mostly these roles. I don't get the mother anymore or the doctor with his hair. And it's interesting that what you were talking about, these different Alessandras that are there. As you change your look, as you change your style, whether it's your hair or whatever, that also changes the kinds of roles that you go out for or how you're seen in the audition room. Uh, yeah, for sure. I saw a 180-degree switch from the moment uh, I dyed my hair. I didn't know that it was going to be so so sudden and so sharp. Did that change how you branded yourself as well? Yeah, I had to, of course, do different headshots. And yeah, the branding, you know, in quotes that I'm presenting right now is more of a young person, uh, perfect for campaigns where people want diversity because, uh, yes, I'm Asian, but I have red hair, I'm an immigrant, et cetera, et cetera. So I have a completely different branding. I'm not only the Asian human being, I'm the Asian with an edgy look. Here in New York, there's a, a big push, and, that, and this certainly happened over the last couple of years, a bigger push for more Asian representation on stage. Have you found yourself being a part of those kind of pushes and, and wanting more Asian representation, as well as more effort put in keeping Asian safe within their community? Uh, I certainly saw an increase of audition requests for Asian people, which is great. But I think that we have to do a little bit more. This is only the beginning. What more would you like to see? I would like to see Asian people not casted only in uh, the role of the person that loves video games or the martial arts teacher or the nerd. I would like to see them as a love interest, not only the friend of the, of the main character. I want Asian that are bad in math as well, or Asian people that love Pokemon. I mean, I do love them, but not everyone is like that. So I want Asian people to be more human. Right now, this is the perfect moment to share what I always wanted to share and think. Because I feel white people have the chance to have different shades to them, while other ethnicities are you know already what's going to happen. The Asian person is going to get this specific role, the African-American this, etc. So yeah, I want everybody to feel more human and to see themselves on TV with different traits. You mostly see yourself, first and foremost, as a dancer. That's what you've been trained as mostly. And then all your other opportunities from commercials or uh, modeling or things have really been an extension of your dancing. Mm -hmm. And so for you, what is it about dance in particular that led you or, as opposed to acting or singing or any other type of performance? So I, I grew up watching MTV in Italy and I was obsessed with Britney Spears and her choreography. And when her, when her music video, Baby One More Time, came out, I said to myself, oh, I want to be Britney one day, I'll move to the States. So everything started because of Britney Spears. And this is why I'm here. 
have you gotten close to what you hoped your career would be, you know, since Britney inspired it? Yeah, in certain moments, for sure. For example, when I got to perform at Madison Square Garden, it was one of those moments where you say, oh, I put so much work in. I came all the way here. And yeah, I was very proud of that moment. Yeah, that's definitely one of those times when when you reach a certain pinnacle or like Madison Square Garden, you're at a certain venue, a stage where, all right, now I've hit the big time. And so was that for you the definition of success, the definition of of making it? Uh, It was a confirmation that I was doing well and putting enough effort. I don't think there's a specific episode that's going to give me the sign, hey, you're successful right now. You can you can chill or anything like that. Yeah, because I don't want to put my whole existence and my whole work in getting one specific thing that will give me the confidence to be okay. Yeah, you want to keep pushing yourself. You know, you achieve one thing, but then there's the next thing after that and the next thing and so on. You want to keep, as you said, you, you want to keep growing into these different Alessandras. Yeah, as long as I'm growing, even slowly, it's fine. Yeah, my goal is to be be content and free from uh, worries, anxieties, or regrets. So as long as I'm moving up slowly but surely, I'm I'm happy with that. I mean, and being free of worry that is something that I think it's difficult for a lot of performers because we have such a gig to gig mentality. Like you know, you do one job that ends. All right, got to find the next one, and you're always trying to find that next thing. So what is it for you that that kind of centers you, that helps you feel content? Having good people around me, that for sure makes me feel content. Because yeah, we are dancers, etc. But it's not only that. Like I put um, importance only uh, also in different parts of my life. So sometimes, yeah, when dance doesn't go well, at least I have a strong net of people that I can rely on. Uh, since I'm Italian, I have this value of meeting up with people, eating together, and this keeps me keeps me grounded, keeps me connected to the real world, which is not only auditioning or trying to book the the biggest tour on earth. Yeah, I mean, we we still have to be people. I mean, yes, we're performers, we're on stage or on screen, and we have to give that performance but at the same time we still have to be true to ourselves we want to have family and friends that are connected to us and in what ways have you also been family and friends to others like like how have you helped support others uh yeah since i'm not from the states i gravitate easily uh, towards people that are not from here as well because we share the same visa process, for example, I felt that I had to help other people with the process because it's something I went through and I suffered so much for it or, you know, learning a new language. So yeah, I've been helping people with info I had, for example, I knew that this specific audition was good for that person. I would go out of my way to tell the fellow performer about it. And because I know how hard it is to to work in a country where you don't you know where you were not born in so that for sure or yeah or helping other people with with, with their life in general not, not even specifically to work and so what do you hope for as as you said you're just kind of in the beginning 
of your LA journey, however long that's going to be, what is it that you hope to gain from Los Angeles? I would like to gain a life where I can uh, work in only what I love consistently. I just want to live a content life where I just do jobs in entertainment that speak to me. And I want to be able to say no to things and be intentional. Yeah. That's such a powerful thing to be able to say no. It means you have the the confidence in yourself. You have financial resources. So you can say no to this and wait for something better. That's a very powerful place to be when you're not so desperate. Because I know when I first started out, I was saying yes to everything. I was auditioning for everything. I was saying yes to everything. But then over time, then you start to realize, well, yes, I want to make money, but then I also want to be happy. So I'm going to gravitate toward the things that make me happy and joyful as a person, not only as a performer. Mm -hmm. So what is it that brings you happiness? In the past, I used to be obsessed with going on tour. And I think that it wasn't even my my dream to do that. But you see people on social media doing it. You think you're supposed to do that. Or I see someone, for example, dancing for Cardi B. And I think, oh my God, I'm a failure. I'm not dancing for Cardi B. And then I think about it. I'm like, you don't even, you're not even interested in that project. So why are you putting so much pressure on yourself? And now with time and also, you know, with the lockdown, I had time to think. My goal is to work in fashion and incorporate dance. So modeling, but in projects where movements are required. So that would be, you know, the perfect combinations of things that I love. What is it for you, that movement? What is it that connects to you? Why are you drawn to that particular type of performance expression? You know, growing up in Italy, you get to see a lot of, you know, different fashion shows or know about fashion brands. And I've always been drawn to dressing well or being um, very intentional with what I wear. So I always had that passion in me and yeah, and dance it's because of Britney Spears and everything. (laughs) So with, you know, modeling and dance, I can combine both words, which is awesome. Yeah. Well, it's it's been such a pleasure to talk to you and really get to know you. You know, you were first and foremost my husband's friend. And so now, you know, you and I are starting to uh, become part of each other's lives as well. So I, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. Oh, thank you so much for having me. So very excited to keep going with our friendship. <laughs> and now I feel even more close to you after yes. talking one-on-one without other people, exactly. wedding guests. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Patrick. Thank you so much for joining me and Alessandra for our honest discussion about persistence and drive. And the conversation actually continues on YouTube, where you can watch the final five questions. In fact, the Why I'll Never Make It YouTube channel has quite a few episodes and bonus content on there, so look for a link to Alessandra's final five in the show notes. Well, I certainly hope you got as much from our conversation as I did, and if so, then please share this conversation with anyone who you think could benefit from this podcast. Another way to support Why I'll Never Make It is by going to the website and making either a one-time donation or ongoing monthly giving. 
This will allow me to continue the growth of this podcast and bring on more guests like Alessandra. There's even a way for you to get access to bonus episodes as well. Just go to whyillnevermakeit.com and click the support button. Well, I'm your host, Patrick Oliver-Jones, in charge of writing, editing, and producing this podcast. Publicity provided by Imagine PR Group. Incidental music featured in this episode is by Kai Engel. Why I'll Never Make It is a part of the Helium Radio Network and a member of the Broadway Makers Alliance. Join me next time as we talk more about Why I'll Never Make It. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.